Section 50 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter 136. Point Lookout, Maryland. Friday, March 25th, 1864. I believe I was never lamer or more absolutely used up than I am right at this present moment, the result of my participation in a great snowball battle yesterday between the 2nd and 12th. I emerged with both eyes blackened and a big cut over one with minor contusions too numerous to mention, and thoroughly soaked and bedraggled from top to bottom. The 12th turned out en masse, which was more than our fellows did, as half of them were lying in their bunks asleep, having been on guard the night before, while our subs didn't care nor dare to mix into anything so strenuous. The twelfth mustered three men to our one, but we held up our end in good shape. At the close, both sides got to throwing ice and bricks, and several men received quite severe injuries. It was a great storm that brought that snow down upon us, it set in Tuesday, and at nine o'clock in the evening was at its height, the fiercest storm, by all odds, I have ever seen in this part of the country. I slept in a bunk in the company cookhouse, snugly curled up. I slept perhaps a couple of hours. When I woke up and decided to straighten up my cramped limbs, I opened up like a jackknife, took just one second to catch my breath, and pulled up again like a turtle going into his shell. I had rammed both head and feet into a snowdrift. The next morning, the inside of our tent was like a view in the Arctic regions, everything covered or filled with snow. In front of the tent was a drift five feet deep. I guess it was about the toughest snowstorm this part of Maryland ever experienced. Evening I have a little piece of news which I know will make your heart glad. I have decided not to go to Washington, nor to make any further move for a commission. The move served as an anchor to windward in case I should otherwise have to go back to company duty under Gordon. I appreciated that it was a good deal like deserting you to go off again, perhaps for years. But things have come my way and I do not want a commission now any more than I have in the past, but will come home and settle down in a few weeks. No sooner did I make my disinclination to go to Washington that an order was made out detailing me again as regimental PM, and I am once more on my old job. Oh, it was sweet, the way I threw the hooks into the captain. I was in the adjutant's office playing cribbage when Gordon came in. Just as he was going out, he turned to me and said, Well, Haynes, when do you expect your furlough back? I don't know when it'll come, I answered nonchalantly, but probably before long. Well, he snapped back, if it doesn't come in a day or two, I'll have to give you a gun and put you on duty. All right, I said, and butter wouldn't have melted in my mouth. But no sooner had he gone... Then John Cooper, the adjutant, turned to Hen Everett and said, Make out a special order 
detailing Mart for special duty at these headquarters, and serve it on to Captain Gordon. The thing was done so quickly that Gordon was hardly back in his tent before the order reached him. It tickled Bill Ramsdell and my particular gang immensely, and I could see them going around and laughing and slapping each other on the back. Saturday, March 26th. I have been at work today fixing up my tent. I expect to move into it tonight. The Washington mail is taken off, which makes my already light work much lighter. The boat is needed in carrying troops to the peninsula, which the camp strategists think it'll likely be Grant's line of advance on Richmond, and it is also the general impression that we will leave here before many weeks. End of letter 136 Letter 137 Point Lookout, Maryland, March 28th, 1864 I've got my old tent in running order again, fixed somewhat as it was before the Pendleton disaster overtook it. It does seem good to be back doing business at the old stand, but still it does not look exactly homelike yet. For a stove I have got one of the little sheet-iron conical Sibleys, it was donated by Charlie Shute, the quartermaster, but he had no stovepipe for me. But I made a raise of four lengths in Bailey's sutler shop and stole one length down in the company, which was sufficient for my purpose, and the stove works to perfection. But yesterday and today have been so very, very pleasant that there has been but little need of any fire. Warm, summery days, with the sun shining, and the robins flying. Yesterday morning I was awakened very early by a violent banging which threatened to burst in my door. I asked in a polite manner customary in camp who was there, and the reply that came left no doubt. Hey, Muggins, get up and let me in here, won't you? Only one of my old school crowd remembers and still hails me by my schoolboy nickname, Muggins. I tumbled out of bed in a hurry and opened the door to our old friend, Charlie Wilson, just in on the boat from Portsmouth, Virginia, Charles H. Wilson of Manchester. Until discharged for disability, a member of the New Hampshire Battalion, 1st New England Volunteer Cavalry, and then in the employ of the Quartermaster Department at Portsmouth, Virginia. He was going back last night, but he enjoyed himself so well yesterday that he decided to accidentally miss the boat. He goes back tonight. That is, if he does not accidentally get left again. Tuesday, March 29th. One day nearer home, and only 67 more are between us. I have a card almanac hung up, and as soon as the day passes, I scratch it off, just as I have heard of men doing who are going to be hanged. The fine weather I was bragging about has changed to cold and windy, with every indication of a coming storm. Charlie Wilson started back last night, and I went down to see him off. I am messing now with the cooks, down to the company cookhouse, and you may be sure we have the best of rations and plenty of them. The wind is piping up furiously, and my old tent is shaking and creaking like a ship in a gale, but I guess she will weather it. Charlie Wilson sent his regards. Come to think of it, I guess it was his love. 
End of letter 137. Letter 138. Point Lookout, Maryland, April 5th, 1864. The mail boat did not go out last night, owing to the storm, and it bids fair to be much rougher tonight. It is an awful storm we are having, and I would like to see the sun once more and feel its warmth. Yesterday, General Marston was relieved by General Hinks, and from this the boys look for an early transfer of the regiment to the front, as Marston will probably want us with him, while Hinks would naturally prefer his own old regiment, the 19th Massachusetts. The paymaster is expected here day after tomorrow to make what will probably be the last payment we will receive in the southern country. A dropper of water comes through the tent occasionally and strikes this paper with unerring accuracy, but I am bound to write in spite of it. Jess, Dewey, and I are going up the river for seashells the first fair day. He is now right general guide for the regiment and has his time to himself as much as I do, so there is nothing to stand in the way of our little expedition when the weather will permit. The veteran volunteers have returned from their furloughs, some of them completely busted, so far as finances are concerned. Wednesday, April 6th. Orders have just come for a regiment to be ready to embark tomorrow morning. We are to take two days' rations and are going probably to either Norfolk or Yorktown. I may stay here a day or two, or may not, to look after the mail. The officers of the regiment have for some time been making great preparations for a grand ball to come off tomorrow night. It was to have been held in the chapel, and as it would not sound well to talk of a dance in the church, the affair was designated as a picnic. But it is all the same now. Some of the officers do not relish the idea of leaving the quarters they have fitted up so comfortably and at considerable expense. Frank Wassley swears he will burn his when he has to leave it, orders to the contrary notwithstanding. Bill Pendleton has been down to headquarters, and he says General Marston says we are going to Norfolk, and that we will have an easier time than we are having here. Marston has been appointed military governor of Norfolk. As for myself... If I fare as well where we are going, as I have here, I will have no reason to complain. End of section 50. Recording by John Brandon.